0: This morning, if you turn in your Bibles again to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we're going to pick up, and we'll finish the chapter this morning, so we've got a lot of scripture to cover. We're going to pick up in verse 12. And I want to give you a little tidbit to chew on, because it's interesting to me how both legalism and license, legalism being taking that extreme position about everything, and license being that liberal position on virtually everything. One leads you to be critical uh, and hyper-inspective of other people's lives. The other says it doesn't matter and we don't need to be involved uh, in any way, shape, or form in, in anything that anybody thinks, oftentimes even ourselves. Both of them are a problem. And I want to remind you that we need to be in the, men, in the middle of this. We've been now for virtually three chapters on roughly the same uh, subject, lots of different ways. I, I believe with all my heart that there's a reason for that, because we're prone to extremes. Amen? I'm prone to extremes. I readily admit that, and I thank you for, for suffering long at times with my, my extremity. There are times when I get very passionate about certain subjects. And I think most of you have been here for a while understand that part of me, and you overlook it at times. That doesn't mean that my extremity is necessarily correct, by the way. Uh, there are times when I, too, need to just simply say, you know what, let's get back to the middle in these things. But I want to really ad- admonish you that your legalism can become license, and your license can become legalism. Because I know people who are legalistic libertine, okay? And I know people who are absolutely liberal in their legalism. And it's important you understand this, because any extreme will do that. Eventually you'll become so set in that particular mindset that you're not open to the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's what's in view here. And Paul is now going to finish this chapter by kind of gathering us back and bringing us to the middle. And and I believe the title that I've given this message is applicable. Simply be careful. And being careful means we're others-centered. Being careful means that when we think on anything, we think of it from the position of how will this affect the kingdom of God. How will it be used in that other person's life? What potential does my action have to glorify the Lord or to bring him shame? And when we do that, it will always draw you back to that cautious place. It will cause you to look at other people's needs, wants, desires, their place and their walk with the Lord, their place in the kingdom. Because as a group of, you know, you gather together a group of pastors, I would hope that they would have spiritual knowledge that would enable them to realize that, as this passage clearly states, you know, meat sacrificed to idols is still good meat, amen? But you're going to find some young Christians that that's not going to be the case for them. They're going to look at it and go, oh, my goodness. That I just came out of that cult. I just came out of that that place where I was offering those very sacrifices myself, and they're a huge stumbling block to me, and you're doing that. You see, there's two different viewpoints there, and neither one is wrong. They're both correct in their place. That person who has struggled with that sin behavior should be deathly afraid of that place. And that person who's been delivered and recognizes that God's given us all things richly to enjoy should be absolutely set free to walk in freedom in Christ and enjoy the things that God's given us. Both are true. They are not mutually exclusive. We need to lay hold of this because if we can't be to the Greeks a Greek and to the Romans a Roman and to the people in running springs a resident of running springs and to the person who struggled a person who struggles and to the person who's free a person who's free do you get the picture you see we need to adjust our own views to be used of the lord that's why when someone comes to me and they pridefully say well I don't watch tv frankly that's generally legalism Doesn't make them more holy, doesn't make them more spiritual. And in fact, some people would look at that and then they would themselves fall under condemnation, wouldn't they? You see the picture? Now, I think it's perfectly fine if you don't want to have a TV in your house. But we have to avoid spiritual pride. And that's in view in this passage. To look at the things that we do and recognize, to me the answer may be one thing, and to you the answer may be another. And even in the circumstances of life, unless we're dealing with a clear spiritual truth, let me give you a very extreme example, but it's one you can understand, fornication is never okay with God, okay? Why? Because his word clearly states so. So there's no libertine position, and there's no legalistic position. There is simply God's position on the issue. Amen? Okay? Drunkenness, same thing. It's never okay. Ever. Scripture says no. So on the one hand, you have the person that says, well, here's enough and here's not enough. The issue is drunkenness. When Scripture speaks authoritatively, we are authoritative. But beyond that, would you be careful? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time this morning, and and Lord, for each of us. God, at times we all need adjustment in this area of our lives, and pray that each this morning, as we've gathered together in your name to hear from your word, that you would minister to us as individuals, because that's the way you see us. Your thoughts towards us are innumerable as the sands of the sea. You've numbered the hairs on each of our heads, Lord, you knew us before we even had had taken our first breath. And so, God, we know that you, you love us as a people. You love us as individuals. And, God, help us to have this this beautiful issue balanced well. God, we want to be free and we want to enjoy, but we also want to be careful. And so, Lord, speak to us now through your word we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 12, and it says, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And so he begins with a warning as he closes out the chapter. And I think it's very important that warning is there. And I believe that is the issue of spiritual pride. Take heed lest you think you're further along the road than you really are. Because I have seen a lot of people who believe, hey, man, I've been going to church for 30 years. I read my Bible every day. I've been walking with Jesus. And because they haven't taken heed, because they're not really taking in anymore is the issue. They think they've already arrived, and us pastors are guilty of this at times. There are times when I've you know, i taught passages, some of them in Scripture, maybe 40, 50 times. And I look at it and I know what that says. Take heed. Take heed lest you fall. Keep allowing the Lord to input into your life. Take nothing for granted. In all things, be prayerful and supplicate before the Lord and seek His face on those things. Take heed lest He fall. Let me give you a secret. Your strengths are also the greatest potential for weakness your strengths are also the greatest potential for weakness. The areas that you think that you're absolutely inshakable and flappable and immovable are your greatest spots of weakness, and here's why. You no longer guard those things. You no longer protect those things. You no longer adjust those things and input those things. You set them aside as strengths and you say, "Ah, I'm solid in that area. I've been walking with the Lord. I've, I haven't had a problem with that in three days. <laughs> I'm cool there. Take heed lest you fall. And I speak to myself too. We're in this together, amen. I have to take heed. I have to watch you know as a pastor I, one of our great weaknesses as, as generally speaking as a pastor is our knowledge of the word you know, I just like oh, I studied oh, of course I know that you can become lifted up with pride. Now he goes on, a verse you should all have underlined in your Bibles, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. There is nothing new under the sun, as Solomon said it. There's nothing that, that comes into your life that people previously haven't gone through. There, there is nothing that, that God is unable to see, able to do. There, there is nothing that comes into your life that's beyond the touch of the Lord to make sure that you're able to stand is another way to look at it. There, there isn't a temptation that comes into your life. And, and frankly, beloved, this is that verse that I think in and of itself really belies the, the oft-repeated mantra of our day of, of victimhood in the disease model. In the body of Christ. And make sure you understand what I just said. So far as a Christian is concerned, there is no temptation that comes to you, but it's something that people have been dealing with from day one, really is what's being said. And in it, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And so what it really says is, there's no such thing as a sin that you can't overcome in Christ Jesus. There's no such thing as a lifestyle thing, a choice, A behavior that comes into the life of a believer, and make the distinction there, because you have within you the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? You have dwelling in you the living God. You have at your disposal a power that is greater than anything known to mankind without Christ, and that is God in you, your hope of glory. Amen? You're different than people in the world. So make the distinction. Because to a person who does not know the Lord, this verse makes zero sense. They're walking in that place to where they fully believe they're addicted to whatever, and there is no hope apart from their program. They believe that with all their heart. But for you and me, the reality of it is, If God can't keep you from drugs, then how can he take you to heaven as a sinner? If God can't keep you from alcohol or sexual sin, if it is impossible for you to flee those things, then I say to you, God is not who he declares he is. And he does not have the power to save you eternally if he can't save you from this silly temporal life that we live. And so for us, we need to be careful not to excuse our sin, amen? That's the picture here. Well, you know, I just can't help myself. After all, I was born into this family, and my dad did this, and my mom did that, and our country does this, and people do that. As a believer, again, please, nail the distinction. As a believer, you have the power to escape anything and everything. And Scripture says there is a way of escape. The question is, will we take it? Not, is it there? And so then the focus shifts from God's power to your power if you don't take it. Amen? And that's why people don't escape those things. They're not resting and trusting in the true and the living God. They're resting and trusting in You know, some pill. They're resting and trusting in some program. They're resting and trusting in some people. We need to rest and trust and put our hope and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. That is able to deliver us. The world and all of its programs can't do that. And that's not meant to be a slight on anything that's going on in the world that's helpful and beneficial. It's simply to say the answer for the church is more of Jesus And less of the world. Amen? No human being is ever beyond temptation while you're on this earth. Please remember that. No pastor is. No person in the pew is beyond temptation. We all still walk and live and breathe in mortal bodies of flesh. Amen? And we still have within us the capacity to sin. And there are things that are more attractive to you than may be attractive to me. We all have that capacity. But praise God, I don't have to follow that old nature anymore. Praise the Lord that that's the case. I've been set free to live a new life of righteousness. And so he sets the stage here by by making sure that we understand the grace in which we stand and the grace in which we walk. Temptations are going to come. Temptations are going to prayerfully go. Temptations are going to come into your life the rest of your days while you're still here. The good news is is that as you grow in Christ, you will fall into those temptive things less and less and less you're becoming more mature and more sanctified and more filled and more delightful to the Lord in the fact that He is in you and He His power is now working in you to will and to do as is His good pleasure, amen. And so now all of a sudden you're you're not struggling like you used to. I always tell people when they come and maybe their their bondage is, is just heavy over some thing that they just seem to not be able to get free from. Maybe they're struggling with, with just some behavioral thing. And they come and they're just beat up. And I will ask them, do, do, are you struggling? And they'll go, yes. And I say, praise God. Because that's a sign God's working in you. You're struggling. Where you need to be very afraid is when you stop struggling. It no longer bothers you. You don't care anymore. So as long as you're struggling, that's a really good thing. Because that means the Holy Spirit still has access to impart into your life truth. And that's what's in view here as Paul begins to, to wrap up this particular passage of Scripture. The, the secret to resisting temptation really is this is to recognize where it comes from. Recognize where it comes from. God does not tempt, nor is he tempted by anything. Plain teaching of the book of James. He, he doesn't tempt anyone. God's not out there, okay. Check this out. Can you survive it? That would make you mean and capricious, wouldn't it? So God's not doing that. Satan's doing that. Whenever you have those temptations, they're not from the Lord. And so you need to make sure that the enemy doesn't have that kind of access to you. How do you do that? Pray. Pray. Read God's word, stay in fellowship, don't isolate yourself. Input those things which are the Lord so that you have some resources. Because if you don't have the resources, then those temptations are very difficult. If you cut yourself off from, from the body of Christ, if you're not praying on a daily basis, if you're, you don't have a devotional life, then you're going to be very, very ineffective when those temptations come because Satan is very powerful. He knows what to tempt you with. He knows what to test you with. He, he knows how to get to you, so to speak. The question is, have you studied to show yourself an approved workman, rightly dividing the word of truth, and so infilled your life with the word of God, and been so enriched in fellowship and worship and praise and prayer, that all of a sudden when those things come, oh, no, I know where that comes from. See, I think the problem sometimes is in the Identification. I think the problem sometimes for us is in the identification. We don't actually see those things initially as sin because we haven't been in prayer, we haven't been in the Word, we haven't been in fellowship, and so consequently it kind of sort of looks like, okay, maybe it's all right. Stay in the Word, stay in prayer, stay in fellowship. Do not isolate yourself and set up for yourself some type of a battle plan because you're in a war, As a shirt on Wednesday night. You know, for us to think that we're not in a war is kind of silly, isn't it? We're in a war. Your flesh and your spirit at the same time. You, you have flesh and you have spirit. Praise God, your spirit is now ruling because the spirit of God is in you. But don't think for a moment you don't still have some flesh. That's why he said, be careful, take heed, lest you fall. Because if you don't see that, then you're tempted to believe that you're further along than you really are. You're tempted to believe you're further along than you really are. And we need to be very wary of that. Verse 14, he goes on to say, And therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Why do you think he would say that? Ask yourself the question, why do you think God says that through the Apostle Paul? Because the same reason James said, Flee the devil. We need to make sure that we're not giving the devil an opportunity to beat us up unwittingly. We need to take active participation in our own walks with the Lord, not passive participation. Sometimes I think people think by osmosis, if we just hang around Christians long enough, that we're going to be bulletproof. Not true. You you and I need to actively flee from idolatry, even as Christians. And you say, well, you know, I don't have a little statue in my house. i got no little golden idols. I've never, you know, offered my kids up to Molech or any of those kind of things. (laughs) I would never do that. But it's an interesting word that's translated flee here. It means to recognize and avoid. It means to recognize and avoid. In other words, Oh, that's bad, and I'm going that way. That's not good for me, and so I'm going to pick my feet up, and I'm going to go the other way. Not, wow, you know, I'm so strong now, I don't need to take heed lest I fall. I can go right back to the places that I used to go, and I'm going to be fine. You see the difference between those two mindsets? The mindset of someone who is spiritually prideful says, I'm so far along in my walk with the Lord, I can just get as close to sin as I want. It can't hurt me because I am bulletproof. Not wise. Flee idolatry. And I speak as to wise men. Judge for yourselves what I say. And so he offers up this uh, this opportunity for for us to look at this and go, man, isn't that true? Wisdom is the ability to use knowledge correctly, is it not? So if I see something and I appraise it and I go, man, that's kind of close to the enemy, my response as a wise person should be, I pick up my feet and I go the other way. Not, wow, that's nice. I get there with my fire kind of like Peter did remember Peter around the fire in his denial of the Lord he hung around in a place he shouldn't be he was doing something he shouldn't have done and he was hanging out with people he shouldn't have been around get the picture we need to flee it's not like wow that's warm it's cold out right now. It's warm it's like this is satanic I need to go this I'll be over here and be cold rather than be over there and be warm amen you get the picture Yeah, it's so important to understand this. Because I think people, unwittingly at times, flirt with things that are dangerous. Because they think they're further along than they really are, and they hang out kind of with a group that they shouldn't hang around with. Maybe it's old friends, maybe it's old behaviors, maybe it's something in your life that is just kind of a temptation to you, that in a neutral sense is neither good nor bad, but in a spiritual sense it's clearly bad. Because... It has a potential to pull you back to where you don't want to go. Flee. Go the other way. Pick up your feet and move. Those familiar things. And our modern idols are, are, are very similar. Of course, we don't have little golden statues. But you know what? We do have power. And we do have promiscuity. We do have pleasure. We do have prestige. We have those things which are attractive to us. Things that we would like to see more of in our lives. And interestingly enough, most of those things have a basis when they're under the power of the Holy Spirit as good, aren't they? Doesn't Satan just simply pervert things and make them bad as a general rule? That's what he does. He takes a physical relationship that belongs between husband and wife, and he creates something that's bad. He doesn't actually make it himself. He just perverts what's already here. And so that's where we need to win the battle. We need to understand that, that Satan is at work trying to twist stuff in our lives. Well, I can't deal with this, so I need to go get stoned. You know, I you know, I this is this issue over here. I need to I need to be able to get free from these things, and so that freedom we use wrongly to mean a freedom to sin instead of a freedom from sin, amen? You see, we need to flee idolatry. Verse 16, he begins to move on. The the cup of blessing with which we bless is not the communion. Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ, the bread which we break? Is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, and we all partake of that one bread. He, He says, all of us are in the same boat, the same way. And so he's speaking in a general sense to the whole body of Christ, no matter where you are, along that line of growth that is our sanctification and our maturation. We're we're becoming more saintly, more holy, more Christ-like. We're maturing along that path, and things that once held us no longer hold us, but there are still temptations along the way. And, And we're all in it as members of the body of Christ. Without Christ's blood, Pastor Jeff doesn't go to heaven. Just as much as the most wretched sinner that walks through the doors of this church that just five minutes ago was engaged in some kind of behavior but falls on their face and gives their life to Christ, I need the blood just as much as he or she needs the blood. Same thing with the body. I need Christ's body broken for me just as much as anybody who is right now, this instant, somewhere in the world, giving their life to Christ, without his broken body instead of my broken body, without his blood instead of my blood, I'm doomed. We're all in the same group. So I'm not better than you. Sometimes we as, as people, as human beings, we like to assign value based on longevity. Amen? That's how we got the tenure system. That's how we get the, you know, that, that, you know, I, I'm, I've been there longer thing going on in our lives. You know, sometimes that just means you're more stale. Amen? Think about it. You've met people like that. They probably should have retired a long time ago because it it's not good. We need to recognize that spiritually that's a problem for us as people. We need to not rest and trust in our past accomplishments. Just because two weeks ago we were walking with Jesus does not necessarily guarantee us the same result today. We need to keep growing. We need to keep going. We need to keep moving towards the Lord. For observe Israel, it says in verse 18, after the flesh, are not all those who ate of the sacrifices partaker of the altar, He says we have the same unity, whether whether you're looking back to the Jewish people or whether you're looking to you and me in our day and time, there there should be a unity in it. And that should give us compassion to move towards the middle ground. That should give us compassion to move towards the middle ground, because each of us in our own way, as we're going to see when we get to chapter 12, has things that we bring to the body of Christ. They're a blessing from the Lord. They're giftings that you have that maybe I don't we need each other is the is what's in view here there should be this immense unity uh, that is us in the body of Christ I'm a partaker just like you're a partaker uh, and and if we fail to see that then we start dividing up into little cliques within the church and you got the really holy people cuz they're elders and you got the really unholy people cuz they sit in the back corner You know, I've actually had people say that. Well, you know, I don't sit in the back corner because I don't want people to think that I'm a sinner. Guess what? You are a sinner. And so am I. I'm a sinner who is now saved by grace, but nonetheless, as Paul said, I'm still a sinner. So we, we have to be careful not to assign kind of some structure or hierarchy of value to people's lives simply because of the position that we are on on that place of maturation. We're all in it together. And we, we do the best when we recognize that truth. Remember that Jesus died for people, not principles, not systems, and not denominations. Amen? Jesus died for sinners. He came to set us free. He didn't come to establish a bunch of rules and regulations and authorizations and you know organizations. He came to save people. He came to save sinners, of which Paul himself would say, of whom I am chief. Amen and hallelujah. That's why we exist as a church, is to proclaim Christ, not Calvary Chapel. We exist to proclaim Christ, not some organization. I mean, I'm thankful and I'm grateful that this is who we are. But we're part of a much bigger thing called the body of Christ. And it's all beautiful in in the Lord's eyes. We may dress differently, act differently, have different ways of ministry, but the bottom line is is we should exhibit the unity of the body of Christ. Verse 19, I love the way the New Living places this. It says, what am I trying to say? Kind of confusing. It's like, really? Really? Am I saying that idols to whom the pagans bring sacrifices are real gods and that these sacrifices are of some value? You know, am I trying to tell you to, to stay clear of you know, the mystic magic shop in town? You know, because you might go in and a curse might fall on you. You know, your neighbor has some little, you know, golden Buddha in their front living room and you walk in and it's like, ah, I've become a Buddhist. You know, you inadvertently say, Allah Akbar, I just converted. No, that's not what Paul's saying. That's not what I'm saying to you. Those things don't have any power over you. No, not at all. What I am saying is that these sacrifices are offered to demons, not to God. And I don't want any of you to be partners with demons. What he's saying is when it gets down to the act of worship, you better stay clear of those places. But if you are simply going over to somebody's house to fellowship with them and they happen to have a Buddha in their front yard, that is a very different thing than you going to a Buddhist church and doing chants. Amen? Yes. That's what he's saying. You, you going in and pretending that you're, for a moment, you're, well, you know, I'm a Christo-Buddhist. I'm a, I'm a Muslim. I don't know what I am. No, you need to be different and distinctive. You need to stand for Christ at all times. And so there's a big difference between buying a hunk of meat in a market and going into the temple and worshiping. Amen? Don't go into the temple and worship. You, you have no business going into a Muslim mosque and sitting there for noonday prayers. Don't do it. It's demonic. Stay out of there. I'm sorry if that offends, but it's the truth. There's one God. And he does have a son. The basic tenet of Islam is God has no son. You're denying the faith by being in a worship service in a Muslim church. Okay? Be careful. Because other people, well, you know, Pastor Jeff was in there and he was doing noonday prayers. Didn't want to offend anybody. Mm Mm-mm. Not going to do that. Now hang out with somebody that's a Muslim. Share Christ with them. Maybe even have a meal with them? That's a whole different matter. What he's saying here is make sure that nobody thinks you worship two gods. Make sure that you're not found someplace that would compromise your stand for Christ. Those things are demonic at the core. So he says, meat, not a big deal. Worshiping in some place that doesn't worship Christ and being okay with it, big deal. Verse 21, why? Why? Because you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. Pretty simple. Demons are nothing more, generally speaking, than the angels that fell to earth with Satan. book of Revelation declares that when Satan fell, one-third of the host of heaven fell with them. Very powerful force. They're out there fighting that battle that is the principalities, the powers, the darkness, the rulers of this age. They're out there waging war. And when you go to their camp, guess what you're doing? You're setting yourself up to be attacked. You're setting yourself up to have your mind racked with untruth. You're putting yourself in a place of harm. Don't do that, is what he's saying. For you cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Your Bible says your God, the only God, the true and the living God, is a jealous God. He paid for your soul with the blood of his own Son. He's jealous over you. I, I don't want to provoke God to be angry or upset with me. I, I don't want... You know, last thing in the world Jeff needs is to have God mad at him, okay? So don't want to do that. So I stay away from those situations that inherently would test my allegiance. Do you understand what I said? You see, I want to stay out of those places where people might go, I'm not sure what he believes. He's a Christo-Mormon Muslim. I don't know what he is. I... We're not sure. He just kind of believes everything and worships everywhere. Can't we all just get along? That is why I've shared with you that bumper sticker that says coexist is a falsehood. It can't happen. It's not possible. You cannot have Muslims and Christians who view the world the same way. Because one believes that God has no son, and one believes that God's only son is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Those are opposing points of view. There is no common ground in worship. Do you understand? You see, there's no common ground in worship, but there's very common ground in us sharing our faith outside of that worship experience. That's why you need to have personal relationships apart from worship. You can't just go worship and hang out with them, pretend it's going to be okay. You're setting yourself up. But what you can do is personally strike up conversations with them and make sure that they know that Jesus loves them. And the moment you say that, you're going to find out exactly how great that divide is. Because they don't believe that God has a son. You believe not only God has a son, but God's son is Savior and he is Lord. They're opposites. Don't provoke God to jealousy. Are we stronger than he? Of course, that's rhetorical. No, we're not stronger than God. Eating at the table of demons is a good way to get God to kind of stimulate you a little bit. With the cattle prod of heaven. It's like, "Eh, what are you doing? (laughs) If you've ever been hit with a cattle prod, don't want that. Imagine it times a billion. It's not good. I have crazy people in my family. We used to actually fight with those things. Every once in a while, somebody's you know we get knocked out by it, and that's usually when the game was over. <laughs> Just saying. He goes on now and repeats something that he already said in chapter six, back in verse twelve of chapter six. All things are lawful for me, so he says. You know, as a body of Christ, and you are so free to enjoy what God's given you on this earth. You are free. Don't let anybody steal your freedom. You're free. To enjoy what God has given you richly. That's the plain teaching of Scripture. But notice what he says, but not all things are helpful. He says, okay, you can enjoy everything, and you should, within a reason. Within that position that glorifies the Lord. Within simply being careful about how you do those things. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify or build up. And let no one seek his own, but each one others' well-being. You see, he puts into perspective very clearly what he's talking about here. You need to be thinking about others when you think about your liberties. You need to be thinking about others when you're thinking about doing pretty much anything you can do. How will this affect other people? Will it affect them for the good? Will it affect them for the bad? Will it be used of the Lord to bring glory to him? Or will it shame my king and his kingdom? You see, that's what we need to think on, because there's a lot of things you can do. And and I I won't belabor what we've already studied here in this book. There's a lot of things you can do. The question is, should you do them? The question is, should you do them? You see, there's a lot of things we can do in our home that we wouldn't do in the public, except for if you have kids, your kids are your primary teaching opportunity. Amen? Amen. So should we do what we wouldn't do in public, even though we can do it in public, should we do it at home when our kids see it? I think the answer is most of the time, not in your life. Why? Because the last thing I want to do is run well and have taught all of you guys and have my own boys have habits that they saw me do at home that I wouldn't do in public because I have liberty to do it at home, but not in public. Do you get the picture? It's so important because there are things you can do. And it, it's not necessarily sinful. But should you do them in light of others? That is the question that remains with our liberty. And you know at times, that's going to tweak you a little bit, okay? Let me just be honest with you. There are going to be things that you will feel to a large degree, it's okay to do those things. And, and I draw your attention to things that we we have talked about. You know, TV, movies. Maybe it's, maybe it's that glass of wine with dinner. Maybe it's the cigar that you love on the golf course. Maybe you're, you just think you're Charles Spurgeon and you like to smoke a pipe. I, you know, all of those things in and of themselves, let me be very clear, all those things in and of themselves, you as Christians have liberty to do, but you also have liberty to not do. The question is, which position glorifies Christ the most. And I say to you, the best liberties, as Pastor Chuck wisely once told me, the best liberties you have are the ones that you choose not to do. Because you are preferring others when you do that. You're dying to yourself, which is what Jesus did for you and did for me. Amen? Jesus went to the cross not because of his own sin, because of yours and mine, and the sins of the world. So our picture is, he laid down his liberty. Was he not God? Jesus was fully God at the cross of Christ. Amen? When he died on that cross, he did not have to go to the cross. And furthermore, he had the right to not go to that cross as God. He was perfect. He was holy. He was just. He could have said, "Uh uh-uh. But because of you and me, he laid down the liberty of being God and died on the cross so that you and I would have life. That's the picture that's here. That's the ultimate picture. And and I don't want anybody leaving here in bondage. I, I want you to be joyful and set free. So just think on those things. When you have opportunity and you have a liberty, and it's not clearly said in Scripture one way or another, the question we should ask ourselves, I have to ask myself, is how will this affect king and kingdom? What will it do, Lord, for your glory? Will it really glorify you? And you're going to find out a lot of the liberties that you once engaged in, you're going to go, you know what, it's just not that important to me. It just isn't that important. It's not something that I want to risk offending anyone over. And so he says, looking out for others' well-being, and that should, be our, that should be our care. That should be our concern. And if you don't know, I would ask you to just simply grab somebody that you know and trust in the Lord and ask them. It's amazing what a little godly counsel will do at times. You know, what do you think? I'm in this situation and, you know, I have this opportunity to buy this thing or do, you know, do this particular activity or whatever. It's amazing. And first and foremost, go to your spouse, by the way. That's your best counsel, counselor. But as you, as you talk about those things, you're going to find, yeah, you know, I could do it. It'd be okay. But I'm not going to because there might be one person out of ten. He goes on, and again, I'm reading from the New Living in verse 25. Here's what you should do. I love this. I love it when Scripture is plain. Here's what you should do. You may eat any meat that's sold in the marketplace, but don't ask whether it was offered to idols. What wise counsel is that? Here's what he's saying. Don't be so harsh in your judgment. Just receive the good things of the Lord, and don't dig so deep that you make problems for yourself. Sometimes I think we overthink a lot of things and we turn them into, you know, these big ordeals to where we're just like, you know, we're worried about something that God's not worried about. So to set you free who are maybe uh, in that place of liberty in your lives, you know what? Don't ask the wrong question. Don't don't go searching for it. It's like, you know, we have people every once in a while that come to the camp and God bless them. I'm, I'm not anti-vegetarian, but there is definitely a time when it's just like it's so prideful. It's so arrogant. I mean, they want to go through every can. We have had them come into the kitchen, no joke. Come into the kitchen and look, well, this is not organic tomato. I'm thinking tomato, dirt, organic. (laughs) But their view is it wasn't a free-range tomato, you know? It's like... (laughs) It wasn't picked by you know people with, by their hands or something. A machine picked it. So, and again, I'm not trying to be overly critical. I'm trying to illustrate the point for you. You can get so caught up in the little tiny details of where the dumb tomato came from that you can't even enjoy the tomato. Don't do that because you'll ruin your lives. You'll lack joy. You'll wander around. Oh, I don't know whether I should eat that or not. And, you know, it's like, oh man, it was offered up to an idol. I mean, it came in a can. It's got lead. Don't do that. Don't ask whether it was offered to an idol, and then your conscience won't be bothered. That's pretty plain counsel, isn't it? You know, sometimes it's best just to not ask and enjoy what God's given you. You know, if you don't have a reason to believe that it's something wrong, don't go looking for problems, is basically what he's saying here. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He just quotes the the. Truth that we need to understand there. God created this earth and everything on it, really, for the enjoyment of people. That's why we're here in all of this beauty and the things that we can enjoy. And so enjoy it. Don't ask whether it was offered up to some idol. When we become too worried about every action, we start to lose joy. And I've been guilty of that in my life. I've walked that walk. It's a miserable place to be. You wander around and you, you're checking out where everything's wrong. You know, you're doing the whole demon, demon, who's got the demon? I mean, it's like, whoa, I think he's got a demon. And you start looking at everything in life that way. It'll just make you miserable. If some unbeliever, he says in verse 27, invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever he puts in front of you without raising a question of conscience. Amen? Real simple. But notice this isn't in church. This is at his house. You're just being a good neighbor. You're being someone who's a friend, someone who's likable. These are simple things for us. You don't have to wander around, well, you know, I mean, he he could have possibly prayed over this. Yeah, and your God's bigger than his God. Amen? Just enjoy it. You don't have to sit around trying to find something wrong with everything. It drives me nuts. I, and I'll just share a little thing. Don't send me your silly, stupid things that say we ought to boycott Disneyland and we ought to boycott Home Depot and we ought to boycott this and boycott that. Because if you take that to its logical conclusion, you should go shoot yourself. Do you understand what I just said? Because you can't escape it while you're on this earth. Now, I know that's a little tough for you guys to understand, some of you. But the bottom line is, it's not escapable. The world is Satan's dominion right now. And so if you went around, well, you know, I mean, this was, I got this here, and, you know, they support gay marriage, and I got this over here, and they believe in drunkenness, and I got this over here. If you want a case in point, U.S. government. We all pay taxes, don't we? Ninety percent of what you pay taxes for is things that you probably disagree with. And we can make a biblical case. You're going to move out of the U.S.? No. No. And so the point is this, change what you can change. Do not ever stand for something that Christ doesn't stand for. But in those times when you're living life and you have an opportunity to witness to people and to be used of the Lord, don't be so critical. It's not important to God. God's bigger than those things. We need to draw attention. We need to make sure that people know the truth. But when we do that, we also need to then let it go because God's bigger. We do our part. Let God do his. We need to recognize that the things that we do, the things that we say, have far more weight and power than whether we disagree or whether we find fault with. So how I live my life is way more important than whether I buy free-range turkeys or not. Okay, It really is. How I live my life and what I do to proclaim Christ with my life is far more important than whether I shop at a store that supports gay marriage. If you have a choice and you know about it, shop somewhere else. But the fact of the matter is you are not going to change this earth. Jesus will change this earth when he returns again. Amen? We stand for what we stand for. We need to vote our values. All of those things are true, and you know me. I'm... Pretty hard on that subject, but the fact of the matter is, the best thing we can do is simply be salt and light, and let other people see how we live our lives, and avoid the obvious sin issues. But if anyone says to you, "It was offered to idols, do not eat it," for the sake of the one who told you, you see, you see the picture. You see, for that one guy, at that point in time, this very personal instance, then don't eat it. Because he told you that it was offered to an idol. And you don't want to embolden him to sin. And you don't want him to stay in that place of worshiping that idol. So in that one case, don't do it. For the earth is the Lord's in all of its fullness. And so what he really says to wrap it up this morning is, would you simply be careful? So why should my freedom be limited by what somebody else thinks? You see, you don't want that either. Because then, then you're not free anymore. You're just in bondage to something else. Now you're in bondage to legalism and being able to read labels. You're in bondage to which store you shop at. You're, you're no longer a good neighbor because everybody's got some problem. You become hypercritical about everything. That's what happens. And before you know it, you're just wandering around. Man, my demonometer just went off. It's like the thing's going to buzz twenty four seven. Okay. There's a war going on around you. And this world is Satan's dominion. This 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 world is his right now. God's given him the ability to have control right now of the world system. He's still sovereign. One day he's going to correct all that, but he's allowed Satan to have immense power. And so, yes, he controls stores. And yes, he controls clothing. And yes, he controls to some degree the mores of people who do not know the Lord. All those things are true. We need to see that for what it is. If I can thank God for the food and enjoy it, why should I be condemned in eating it? Whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, notice this, you must do all to the glory of the Lord. So give no offense either to the Jews, the Greeks, to the church of God, just as also it pleases all men and all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they might be saved. You see, if Christians withdrew themselves from everything that had anything to do with the enemy, We'd have to move off the earth. Amen? And we'd cease being salt and light. We'd no longer be a powerful force for the gospel message. We'd simply be a club that is parked somewhere in a deserted island. And we would say, unless you join our club, unless you're as holy as we are, you can't come here. God doesn't want that. God wants you to be a witness wherever you are. And that means at times you may actually get a little mud on you. That, that means at times you may, you may go to something and not everything that happens there. You may go to a wedding and they may toast with champagne and there may be some people there that are drunk, but you're being Christ-like in what you're doing when you're there. And it's not a worship service. The wedding was done by a pastor and the, you know, it, it actually glorified the Lord, but maybe the reception, because they're your friends, you go to that. And there's some stuff going on that you wouldn't do, but you're sitting around telling them about Christ. We need to be doing those things. Whatever we do, may it profit the many that they may be saved. Amen. So simply be careful. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. Lord, I thank you for the patience of this church. and Lord, pray that you would just continue to impress these truths upon us and Lord, help us to have that balance between your holiness, your righteousness, and Lord, being uh, legalistic. And Lord, also help us to not be libertine. Lord, help us to never step over that line. Help us to flee those things that are truly the enemy's traps. And, And Father, as we seek that balance, help us to be careful in such that we would always prefer others. Lord, that we'd give up the liberties that we could have for the sake of others growing closer to you or maybe even coming to know you. Lord, help us to be salt and light. Give us discernment. Make us wise, Lord. In everything that we do, help us to to glorify you. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for this time this morning. We ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.